If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another episode of Jamming with Jason. Hey, uh, today we have a very special guest with me, and we're going to talk about alcohol. Now, it might, it might or it might not be the way you're thinking that we're going to be talking about alcohol, but I have Heather Lloyd with me, uh, who is an alcohol freedom coach. And uh, we're going to talk about her story and about some of the different ways that people uh, who, who feel like they are maybe trapped uh, with something like alcohol. And again, it might be alcohol. It might be something completely different. But what we're going to find out is our journeys are a lot the same. And so the fact that you're listening to this episode means there's something in today's episode that you need to hear. So whatever you do, make sure that you listen to this entire episode and then share it with your friends and family, because there's probably something in here that they need to hear as well. And so with that, we are going to roll that episode now. You are jamming with Jason Mefford, where you hear inspiring interviews with some amazing people. Some are famous, some may seem ordinary, and they are all doing extraordinary things to positively change the world. Sometimes it's just you and me having an intimate and authentic conversation about how you can change the world around you and rewrite the story of your life by being more authentic, accepting and loving yourself more, and spreading love to others. Since really, all you need is love. And what the world needs now is love, sweet love. We discuss all aspects of self-improvement, growth, and so much more. Great content, insightful advice that's practical and helpful to anyone that listens. You're always eager to come back for more and share with your friends and family since you learn something in every episode. So sit back and enjoy the easy listening while you feel seen and heard in this informative, authentic and entertaining podcast. Now, let's roll that beautiful podcast footage. All right, Heather. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you today? I'm very well. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure and I and I love um you know, people can tell already from the accent, yeah. right, that uh, you're you're not from the United States. <laughs> So I am gonna, not. You're not. You're from one of my favorite places in the world. So we're gonna we're gonna get in and talk and talk more about that um, too. But thank you uh, for taking the time to talk with me today, because um, you know we got connected from a mutual person, and it was like mm -hmm. I got to talk to Heather. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being here. Um, so, so maybe let's just kind of start off with, you know, a little bit about kind of what, what you're doing, because I know you call yourself an alcohol freedom coach. So maybe we can kind of explain, 
what that what that means um you know how you kind of help people and then i, I want to kind of get into your backstory and talk about what got you to this point of how you're helping people today sure sure um so pleasure to be here and yeah so alcohol freedom coach that that choice of terminology um was really important to me because it was my past belief um and I think a, a belief that that runs far and wide that if you find yourself uh in a, a destructive pattern with alcohol that that's it that there's a permanence to it, that there's something wrong with you, that you, even just by, it's a, it's a difficult thing to even admit to yourself out loud because it's so loaded. And what I have found is that even after a 20-year drinking career, you can find alcohol freedom in that it doesn't, it's not a thing anymore. The desire is gone. It's something that you almost forget was a problem. Um, and so that's that's why I call myself an alcohol freedom coach, because it's important for people to know that that is a possibility. And that's not always how this, this issue is, is discussed and presented and... Um, so yeah, that that's my experience. Is it? It's just not a thing anymore. And I drank a lot for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how I help people with that is is a condensed version of of the the things that I learned through my my own journey with this. And there's there's two two kind of main themes that run through my program, um, and those are self you know self awareness or awareness of alcohol itself how you think and feel about it and also how it's messaged messaged to you and marketed to you um but also empowered choice and really focusing in on the empowered choices that we make every day as you know a very small level and an empowered choice can be to choose something that that doesn't necessarily serve us um, but the more we recognize that, the more we can take personal responsibility for the choices that we make around alcohol. And then, you know, if the, if, if the personal responsibility is with you and you're making a choice, then you're the one that can make a different choice. So it took a series of decisions to get to where this has become a problem. And it just takes a different series of decisions to almost completely reverse that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think alcohol is, you know, one of those, those funny things, right? And it's, you know, we'll just be honest, right? Because that's what we do here. You know, Mm -hmm. because I I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of times. So if you take something like drugs as well, right? And a lot of people are like, why would anybody ever take drugs? Because it makes you feel fucking good, (laughs) right? I mean, you, you wouldn't shoot up with heroin or snort coke unless it made you feel good. It made you feel different, right? Absolutely. 
and alcohol is one of those substances as well um, that you know what you you feel good you feel relaxed you feel euphoric sometimes mm-hmm. and and so that's why we do it right and there's nothing wrong with it necessarily until it becomes a problem right which I think is you know um, somebody else that I know uh, calls them distracting behaviors right mm-hmm. so. So whenever there's something that, you know, we don't want to admit, we don't want to deal with in our lives, often mm-hmm. we will turn to some sort of distracting behavior. It could be sex, it could be shopping, it could be, you know, TV, it could be yeah. alcohol, well, it could be drugs, drugs, you know, whatever it is, right? So so how how does this term because i know i know you i heard you say a 20 year alcohol career which mm-hmm. i thought was an interesting <laughs> way of describing this so so maybe you know talk talk about your your story kind of with with alcohol and that 20 years and kind of how you you know, kind of woke up or or changed at that point, why you were doing it, why you decided to change as well. Because I think regardless of what the distracting behavior is, people are going to learn a lot from mm. your story, even if their distracting behavior might be something different. So <clears throat> I call it a, a career because it was hard work. Drinking, a, drinking for a long time, you know, frequently for a long period of time is hard work. Um, and you're absolutely right that we do keep going back because there's that reward element that it, there is something good about it. And one thing I wanted to just interject with, because you mentioned heroin and alcohol is in the same drug group as heroin. It behaves in a very, very similar way. And I don't think a lot of people realise that. So already we take, we already separate, alcohol is just a drug, but the language we use around it affects how we think about it and so we don't view it as a drug we view it as we've got it over here somewhere it's somewhere separate um but yeah it's it was a drinking career because it it was hard work so as you can tell from the accent I I was born in Glasgow raised in west central Scotland and the drinking culture there as it is in in many societies is is huge it's very pervasive it's it's a, a badge of honour. There's a lot of pride around it. Um, and I first started drinking when I was about 12 years old. And that that was pretty normal. That was pretty normal. And I, I remember my first experience of it being, I was a very shy, introverted young girl who desperately wanted to be popular and wanted you know, was chasing that status. And when I had that first experience of, of, of getting drunk, of being inebriated, I thought, wow, this is fantastic. This is absolutely amazing. Um, all of a sudden I could talk to people and I was, I was the centre of attention. And also for some reason, um, I'm only five foot one and I was slender, and but I could put away quite a lot of alcohol. So it was that we hear can hold a drink. Mm-hmm. This, this is this was, um, and so that's what I did. You know, drinking as as progressed through my teenage years, drinking, binge drinking most weekends, um, 
But then when I was about 18 or 19, there was a shift in how it was used, is how I'll put it. My brain caught on to another way that this was solving a problem. So as a young teenager, it solved the problem of that kind of social anxiety and, and confidence and, and, and that kind of thing. But um, I had a very difficult interview when I think it was 18 or 19, I had this very difficult interview um, where I had to discuss a lot of uh, traumatic events. And a friend of mine came with me to support me during the interview. And she was, she had been an alcoholic. She had gone through the AA programme and, and now consider, considered herself a recovering alcoholic. And she, after the interview, the first place she took me to was the pub. Now we're talking about 11.30 in the day here. Um, and she said, you need a drink. That was really, really difficult. You need a drink. What do you, what do you drink? I'm going, I'm off to get you a double. And it never occurred to me, it was not an association I had made, was that you've been through something difficult and alcohol is going to help with that. And I remember, you know, after a couple of sips, thinking, oh, do you know what? It does, it does make me feel better. So then, then very quickly, that association had been made. So not only do we do this when we're socialising, if you're having a really crappy day, if you're having a difficult time, you can do it then as well. And hindsight is a wonderful thing, but what I find really interesting looking back, looking back on that moment is, <clears throat> if this lady was still around now, she's no longer with us because she was quite a, a bit older than me, even back then. Um, but never in a million years would she have thought that I would go on to develop any kind of destructive behaviour pattern or problem around alcohol. And I think that was coming from this mentality, if you like, that um, alcoholism is a disease, it only affects certain people, it's maybe a genetic thing. There's a, there's a lot of beliefs around that. So she would never have thought she was doing any harm in introducing me to it in that from that different perspective. And it's not about blaming her, you know, just I just find it really interesting. Um, and there's a lot of other factors that play into it. So, you know, there was some trauma there and, and I was clinically depressed for a long time and on a huge concoction of, of pharmaceuticals. So a heavy drinking pattern, which throughout my 20s, was only weekends, but then turned into every evening, sometimes at lunch breaks, at work. And, you know, sometimes I go back to work eh, drunk. Um, but everyone, you know, that's what we all did. It was Glasgow. It was the civil service. It was it was, it was just part of the, the fabric of our culture every Friday night, every Saturday night. Um, until I, I got to 30, 31, and a combination of all these things, insomnia, depression, poor diet, um, the you know, the alcohol suppressing any pain, any emotion, um, it just kind of imploded. And I, I developed, I think they, they called it chronic fatigue syndrome, where I could hardly get out of bed. I couldn't work. Um, and that was a precursor. That's That's not when I decided to... To stop using alcohol because it, it, it what I needed to do at that point was was regain some function and, and and regain some some of my health and I did that by removing all pharmaceuticals and radically changing my diet and 
and doing a book. This is when I really started to get into kind of mindfulness, personal growth, personal development. Um, and that allowed me the clarity and to, to isolate the variable that was where I could come to the conclusion that my life would be so much better if I didn't drink. But where I had come from and how woven into my identity and the fabric of our culture and my social life and everything, I just couldn't conceive of how that could possibly work. So I, ha- I sat with it for years and years before I could even admit to myself, like, this is a problem. This really is causing a problem. Um, it took it took quite a lot of time to, to have the courage to say, okay, what are we going to do here? Um, and that's really why I wanted to, that's the message that I want to get across is that I understand that scary feeling. I understand that that and and the the shame around it, the guilt around it, because we live in a a society and a culture around alcohol where you're you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So we celebrate with it and we commiserate with it, but shame on you if it develops into a problem. What does that so, mean about you? It's ironic, isn't it? Isn't right? it? Isn't it? Yeah, that we that we we use it in in those different ways because there's. I mean, it's just like your friend, you know, so that was, you know, that was pretty difficult. You need, you need a drink, right? I mean, these, these are things that are just kind of, you know, built into our culture, you know, on the weekends, you go to the pub Friday and Saturday night, because that's where you hang out. That's your social side, right? Mm -hmm. And eventually, you know, again, especially depending on, on, on where you live or who your friends are, um, you know, but especially a place like Scotland, you know, that it is a part of the social culture and fabric, right? I mean, even here in the U.S., we have a little bit of a different, you know, relationship with alcohol because it feels like it's more, especially at, at, at the young time, because we can't drink until we're so old, that it's like, you know, rebelling. One way to rebel is by drinking, right? Mm-hmm. But then we get all the marketing about, hey, if I drink this kind of beer, I'm going to have beautiful, scantily clad women around me all the time that are going to want me, right? So there's there's a whole marketing message that way. And then, like you said, there's the whole <clears throat> conditioning, right? When you were younger and you felt introverted, well, if I have a few drinks, now all of a sudden I'm the life of the party and that feels mm-hmm. good, right? Or, you know, when you've had a difficult day and, hey, it does make you feel better and relax and it helps you to suppress maybe some of the pain or emotions that you're that you're feeling. But I heard you say, too, you know, you struggled with this for a couple of years after you'd kind of consciously said, you know what, I'm probably better off not to drink than to drink. But you continued doing it because of maybe some of the social pressures or other things like that. I mean, how do you deal with, because like that, I mean, I, I can imagine it must've felt something like, well, if I quit drinking, then I'm not going to go to the pub on Friday and Saturday night, or I'm going to be the only one there 
with my friends who's not drinking and everybody else is going to be like, come on, Heather, have, have one with us, you know, sort of thing. So how does, cause that there's a whole emotional and identity thing that kind of ties in there. I mean, how did, how did you deal with that? Did you have to completely walk away from friends or was this something that, you know, how, how did you deal with it? Cause I know a lot of people with addictions, especially they almost have to physically remove themselves from certain environments uh, which can be scary in order to do it. What what was interesting about it was so once I had admitted to myself, so it was a couple of years before I would even admit to myself that this this could be a problem. Who am I? What category category am I in? Am I an alcoholic? Am I not? What's what's happening here? Because I didn't feel like an alcoholic. And, and the other thing I didn't mention is that there is a, a massive history of it in my in my family, in, in my maternal family. There, there's five out of seven people um, who, you know, my mum's brothers and sisters. And, and there's been deaths in the family through it. And it's just something that, you know, was almost not normalized it was just when I looked at me I wasn't that bad so I didn't quite know where I fit in um and after that kind of conversation with myself I, I just kind of put it away for a bit and carried on as was but you know the health I couldn't ignore how it was affecting my health anymore and I, and I wasn't enjoying it in, in the same way. It kind of stopped working in the same way. Um, and what I then did was I white knuckled it for quite a while where it was just, I'm going to stop. I have to stop. It was those, you know, moments of waking up feeling so incredibly unwell and thinking I'm never drinking again. I can't do this anymore. And also having those conversations with myself where, what what is wrong with me? Why do I keep going back to this? And and kidding myself on that I was going to cut back. So saying I'll I'll only have one. I'll go out and I'll only have one. When in the back of my mind I knew that it was highly unlikely I would only have one. I would keep going and going and going. Um. So it was white knuckling it and and kind of at one point I got to six weeks. I remember writing about it in my journal. Six weeks without any alcohol and I was I was celebrating that, but. What made it so difficult was just how how hard that was, how the way I had, um, you know, managed those week at a time or, or right up to about six weeks was just focusing on nothing else but don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. So, of course, that invites in nothing but thoughts about drinking and 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 all that kind of thing so it was really really difficult and I'm like back to should I go to AA and I, I was very very resistant I, I I just the running theme was there's got to be another way there has got to be another way um and one of the real pivotal moments for me it was a kind of surrender moment where I I had been gifted a, a weekend away a wedding gift um, to a, any UK city. Um, so we, me and my husband took this city break and I didn't have a lot. We were away for two or three nights and I didn't have particularly a lot of alcohol, maybe a, 
a few drinks each day. Um, but on the way home, I felt absolutely physically awful. And the only variable there was the alcohol. And it was a kind of calm surrender of this weekend would have been as close as you can get to perfect if I hadn't been drinking. And that that felt different. Um, and so I, I decided then, okay, let's try it a different way. Let's just say, I'm going to have a break and I'm going to see what happens, but I'm really going to pay attention to the circumstances, the situations. And if I want to have a drink, I'll have one. But really, I want to have a break here. So it was it was taking a step back, taking a breath. Um, and then about two months after that, so I didn't have any anything to drink at all. And it, and, and it was much better. It's like I stopped focusing on it. So it was much, much better. Um, and, and the next really big moment after that was a couple of months later, I was going on a, a belated honeymoon. And I was nervous because I knew that there was going to be this challenging situation. You know, it was a beautiful villa in the Andalusian mountains and all the associations around the sun, the local wine, all, all of my favourite things. I hadn't been on a holiday or a vacation, as you would say, without alcohol for since I was a teenager. Um, and I knew there was going to be a challenge. So my husband and I, you know, stumbled up to this cases and stumbled up to this this little villa and and opens the the antique door and there it was a, a welcome spread laid out for us and a, a bottle of local spanish red and i went oh shit you know it was i'm like okay <laughs> we're not going to get we're not going to get past this challenge um quickly so i just stood and i looked and i was like okay what are we doing here um and, and what had changed was I'd had enough time away from alcohol that I, I was starting to get some clarity. I could feel the difference. And like I said, it had been so long since I'd had the experience of being in the sun and being in that type of environment without alcohol that I thought, well, what might it be like? And, and the decision was kind of made there and then. I want to have the experience. I've, I've done the 20 years of drinking in the sun and waking up with a hangover and dragging yourself to the beach to sleep it off. What might this be like? And I just walked over, picked up the bottle and put it under the kitchen sink with the cleaning chemicals. And it was like this kettlebell weight around my neck being removed because the actual experience of of choosing not to open that bottle choosing not to drink that bottle it yeah it was uncomfortable for for a few seconds but something else kicked in the rewiring was happening um and that just led to the next event and the next event you know Christmas and birthdays and 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 it built that assurance well I think it's interesting that you say that too right because if we were talking about this before we hit record or, or during but you know it's it, it's taken years usually to to get programmed a certain way mm-hmm. so sometimes it takes a little while to 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 reprogram that or un, undo some of the mm-hmm. programming that has been there right and so you know i mean my my growing up was a lot different i was i was raised in a very strict mormon house so it was like alcohol was not not allowed right uh and 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 so i kind of you know lived that way i didn't have the 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 normal university you know 
drinking, getting smashed at, and partying at college because I got married so young mm. that I didn't really have that same experience, right? And and later after I left the church and, you know, I, I did start doing some drinking, but I I was always... I was always that guy who wasn't drinking when I was growing up and for, for part of my adult life. Right. So, so I was, I, I was already that I was already used to that, but I do enjoy drinking. I haven't really had a drink in probably a year or two. Cause every time I do, I get a little, little pain in my chin here and it's like, it's not worth it. Right. To mm. have the pain. So I just choose not to drink right now. Maybe I will again, but, but what's interesting is I could, because I didn't have some of that experience when I was going through my divorce from my first wife mm -hmm. and I did want to suppress the pain and emotion, right? My son that was living with me used to joke that sometimes Mr. Whiskey would come to visit, mm. right? And so I caught myself a couple of times overindulging. There was one birthday in particular when things were tremendously hard and I got blitzed out of my mind um but I I, I woke up and one of the things that <clears throat> has helped me never have alcohol become a problem is to think about my intention why yeah. do I want that drink if I want that drink to numb some emotion or run away from something then I shouldn't do it if my intention is I just want to you know, relax, you know, feel, feel a little bit of the euphoria and I'm going to have one drink or two drinks. That's okay. Or, you know, we're having a party tonight and I'm going to do it there. But it, but, but I would try to catch myself because I never wanted to get to the point where I was relying on alcohol as that distracting behavior. Mm -hmm. And it kind of sounds like that's what you were kind of coming to as well of, I no longer want to want to rely on it and I want to see what it's like without it right yeah. and when you had those experiences I mean again how was how did that vacation compare to the other ones from before it was really amazing because it was a chance to gather evidence about the fact that these urges and cravings that we can have around alcohol when we're, we're using it in a certain way. And, and, and you're absolutely right. It, if you change your language around it. So I teach clients to say, if, if, if that feeling of I want a drink comes up, it's I want to use alcohol. And if you change your language that way, then your brain will start to say, well, why? Mm -hmm. Um. And so what I, what I learned on, on that holiday, that vacation, was that these cravings and urges, they're actually quite short-lived. It's almost like your brain presents this as an option and you've then got the choice. And if you can attach to that desire of wanting to have a different experience or I want to stop using alcohol so that whatever your soul that what is then you can let them pass. Whereas if we come at this from an angle of I have to quit and I must quit and it's cold turkey and all the rest of it, 
then that craving and, the, and that urge, we focus in on it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger because it's it's got nowhere to go. Um, but it it was an amazing holiday vacation, not just because, um, you know, I physically felt better, I had more clarity and, you know, as, as you spend more and more time away from alcohol, that just keeps on improving and improving. But it was just like... I, I can do this. I never thought this would be possible. And, and I sat in little bars and little cafes and, and I felt a little bit like sometimes I was missing out, but, but almost this investigation became more exciting. Like what will tomorrow be like? What will be the next, next day? What's going to be like in two months or three months without any pressure of saying never again, or I'm never going to drink again, because that's the other caveat to my story is I did go back for a little while to see I did go back to drinking for six months to see to confirm my findings if you like um but yeah it was it was absolutely incredible it was a it was a life-changing that that one moment and 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 so on was life-changing because it's it's cultivated and cultured this deep belief that this is possible you can completely rewire and feel differently and 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 lose the desire to drink alcohol even if you have for a very long period of time for a very sustained period of time and well, no one says that <laughs> yeah well and, it, and it's interesting too because you know again it just shows how <clears throat> sometimes one little choice mm -hmm. can put you on a completely different trajectory Right. Yeah. And, and the fact that, you know, you made that one little choice, you had good experience with it. So you got some evidence of what it could be like without it. Then you make another little choice and another little choice and another little choice. And before you know it, all of a sudden it's two years later and you're like, wow, <laughs> this feels pretty good. Right. And, and, I, and I think, you know, what you brought up, too, about the the whole idea that it seems like most of the time when people are are trying to quit drinking or smoking or whatever, whatever their distractive or, or uh, addictive behavior happens to be, they're focusing so much on it, right? Mm -hmm. I can't have a drink. I, 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 I don't drink anymore. I, you know, but you're always like having this in the forefront. So if it's continuing to go over and over and over in your mind, it's hard to get rid of it, right? Just like, you know, I don't drink. Well, we don't think about the word don't, and we still keep thinking about alcohol and I need to drink. And, you know, what you uh, resist persists is another one I've heard, right? So if you're trying not to drink, it just means you're going to want to drink that much more. And like you said, then you're going to get into that white knuckling, you know, mm -hmm. that, that you talked about before and white knuckling doesn't work, right? Yep. Um, but it's, 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 these little, you know, being more self-aware, making more empowering choices that can end up helping you move there. Now, I wanted to go to go back to something else that we we kind of touched over on to begin with, but but the whole idea of because as I see this, you know, losing weight, quitting drinking, a lot of these things have some similarities in places that mm -hmm. they are very much associated with our identity, right? And that we we create this identity of either what it means to be an alcoholic, or if we admit to other people that we are, or we stop doing it as well, 
right? So let's let's go there too, because I, I think, um, I'm sure this is one of the things that comes up all the time with the people that you're working with is, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that self-awareness and kind of the admitting. And I, I think that's step number one in AA anyway, right? It's kind of yeah. admitting, admitting that you have a problem. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, for so many people, what it seems really hard to do that because by admitting it, we're admitting some things about ourselves that we don't want to believe and that probably aren't true anyway, but mm-hmm. the society has told us mean something, right? So, so maybe we can talk about that a little bit. I mean, as, as you went through your journey or as you're helping people do that, how do you, how do you, how do they deal with that and kind of get rid of the stigma associated with it? Yes. It's a good question. So, I mean, the first thing is to get really clear on what are we admitting and really looking at what, so what does this mean about me? Um, If I say we term it as when I start to drink, I have trouble stopping, or if I decide I, I don't want to drink, I find, I have a feeling that, you know, I can't say no. I, rem- I, I remember actually I used to decide, I, you know, I'm not going to drink this weekend and I'd be driving past the supermarket and it was almost like someone else took the steering wheel and drove it into the supermarket car park. And, and you say to yourself, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? Um, and so when we start to break that down, the first thing is that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. You are reacting exactly the way anyone potentially would to a powerfully addictive drug. Like I said earlier, alcohol is in the same drug category as heroin. And so we do this thing culturally where we say that you should somehow have an inherent ability to ingest this powerfully addictive drug and then control how it affects you on a bio- biochemical level. Seems kind of crazy when you say it that way, doesn't it? <laughs> and, and when you think about, take it, take an over-the-counter painkiller, for example. <clears throat> um, when you ingest an over-the-counter painkiller, now one of the things it does is it blocks pain receptors, so it gets rid of your headache but it's also very damaging to the lining of your stomach. So when you take that, how do you say, how do you tell your body that I want it to block the pain receptors, but I don't want it to damage the lining of my stomach? We can't. And obviously there are all sorts of environmental and situational and and biological factors that, that play into whether this becomes a problem. But what I do believe is that at the very heart of it, that it can become a problem for anyone at any time because of that. Because if we just look at it at a basic level, it's a powerfully addictive drug. And we don't have a crystal ball and you don't know what the future holds and you don't know what certain set of circumstances are going to present. Um, And in terms of our identity, without it, who am I without it? Um, The thing to remember is that when we are using alcohol, 
our sense of our, our connection to ourself is impaired. Our inhibitions go down and, and, and to the point where we stop caring about consequences and we need inhibitions if we didn't have a inhibitions we would jump off cliffs and we would jump in front of cars and, and you know we need to care and it's about getting some perspective on all these stories that we tell ourselves about what will so-and-so think of me and and how will I be viewed I mean one really powerful thing you can do if if alcohol is something that is um a huge part of your social life and you you spend time with people who drink a lot and you drink with them spend a little bit of time in that environment without any alcohol and just watch and observe and just watch how everybody is in their own world and and when you see two people who are quite inebriated talking to each other you know how when when toddlers um are at that stage where they're having a conversation but they're not really having a conversation because they're not in each other's world it's like uh-huh. two different you know you see that amongst people when they're drinking a lot and the question to ask yourself in these social situations is is this how I would choose to socialize this is this what connection really feels like to me is this am I socializing in this way because it's what I've been conditioned to what I believe is what's what social things people do or uh, you know what does socializing look like to me because you know for example I I no longer go to big events there's certain big events that I no longer go to anymore and, and people might think that I'm quite boring or, or or whatever you know music gigs for example now I didn't ever drink at music gigs because I um, I, I never ever made that association I thought what, what's the point in spending all that money and, and going to see your favorite band and not, not remembering it, it. <laughs> but in terms of my identity without alcohol I no longer go to to big stadium gigs because energetically it's too much for me and I'm too short and I can't see anything and I come home feeling exhausted um, and it's about exploring what what do you actually like and what versus what do you not like truly and the further and further away from alcohol you move the clearer you can become around that and the more you can own that and say well you know what's what's another example for me I I went I went clubbing all my life in my teenage years and 20s but I remember I didn't actually like it I never ever liked it I would never ever set foot club in a night set foot in a nightclub now because I hated it back then the only way I enjoyed it is because I was absolutely drunk um I didn't like dancing in front of people I still don't particularly like dancing in front of people I feel quite you know uncomfortable about it and it's it's this wonderful whole discovery about who you really are and what you really enjoy and what socializing means to you and what connection means to you well it's interesting because that goes back to the point that you talked about with self-awareness right is it how much of the time are we kind of 
just going along and doing what the world tells us that we need to do or that our friends are telling us that we need to do, but we don't actually like it. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so it's the same thing. Like you didn't like clubbing, but you go clubbing because that's what your friends wanted to do. You thought that was what you were probably supposed to do at that point. And in order to get out there and dance, you got to drink to <laughs> to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. And so what's what's funny, right, is it's like you're doing something that you don't really enjoy and you're taking alcohol to help you lose your inhibition so you can do something that you don't want to do anyway. It's like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? I mean, I remember my my grandmother was, she didn't like coffee, okay? Mm-hmm. But she forced herself to like coffee because mm-hmm. all of their friends would go to the diner in the morning and they'd have yeah. coffee and things like that, right? So, so she continued to drink coffee until she liked it, right? And And that's, you know, again, it's so, so then we're, we're participating in a behavior that we don't want to do anyway. And so again, how does that make us probably feel about ourselves, right? As well. Or that our friends are only going to like us if we go clubbing with them, right? That they wouldn't want anything to do with us if we didn't go. Or if we went as a designated driver instead, right? That we could yeah. still, that we could still um actually do that but i i think it's interesting you know like you said is what what is it that we actually like and having some of those discussions with ourselves instead of just going along with or liking what everybody else says we should like and and it is you know the other layer to that is the who and who our friends are and what if they reject me mm-hmm. you know what if they don't want to be with me anymore and again, you know, the, this brings in elements of, of self-worth and, and, and building up more self-worth because if you have so-called friends or family that reject you because you choose not to use alcohol anymore, how, how real is that friendship? And very often what happens is when someone chooses to stop using alcohol, there is a a rejection or a negative reaction because it's triggered a level of discomfort in that other person's own pattern. Yeah, that's, that's, what's funny, right? A lot of times I think the peer pressure that goes along with it, right. Is, is the peer pressure comes because the other people feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. about you not doing what they're doing. Right. And so that's why they're, yeah. So that is, so that's why you're, they're trying to make you do what they're doing. So they feel better about themselves. And it's, it's, (laughs) (laughs) and it's, it's having awareness of that and even having a level of empathy for that and realizing that this is normally not personal. It's, it's about them. It's about their discomfort. Mm -hmm. Well, and so how, how in your journey and, and how you've kind of helped people too, because, you know, again, AA has helped a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? And if it works for you, then do it. But it always, you know, that, that whole thing of, of any of the 12-step programs always kind of bothers me of like the first thing you do when you go to the meeting, hi, I'm Jason and I'm out and I'm an alcoholic, 
but I haven't had a drink in five years. Well, if I haven't had a drink in five years, then I'm not a fucking alcoholic, right? <laughs> it's, it's just... Or, or, or people that would that would see me because again, I said I, I grew up Mormon. So when when people that knew me from that time, when they see me drink at all, they think I must be an alcoholic. And it's like, well, how can I be an alcoholic if I haven't had a drink in four months, right? An alcoholic like slams them back every day, right? So just because you drink doesn't make you an alcoholic, right? And and associating with that label of being an alcoholic, even though you're not drinking anymore, has to be kind of damaging to your identity. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, and because the word around or the the kind of late, it is the recovering alcoholic. Why not recovered? Mm. This is the part that bothered me. Who decided? that you can't recover this was was you know it was a real driver for me I want to know if you can recover and you can 100 <laughs> percent well um, that, that'd be like going to somebody who had cancer right so mm. they have cancer they go they go through the process they're in remission but the rest of their life they say I'm recovering from cancer no you're recovered right you're in remission uh-huh but believing that you're still recovering from cancer, even though you're cancer free, right? What does it, you know? Doesn't make a lot of sense, right? It doesn't. So in terms of your identity, then you're always going to feel like there's something wrong with you. If you're a recovering alcoholic, it's a constant reminder that there's something inherently wrong with you. and, And that's the part that doesn't sit right with me is that you ingest a powerfully addictive drug and you get addicted to it. That's what would, that's what can potentially happen to any human being who ingests a powerfully addictive drug. Like I've said before, there's many different variables and factors that, um, that will influence whether that'll happen and even the term alcoholic there's it's, it's quite a contested concept there's there's no real there's no real you know agreement about what's an alcoholic versus I think the the psychological one is is alcohol misuse disorder so you've got a psychological disorder of where you misuse alcohol now Going into the brain science of it a little bit, alcohol will have an effect on your neural pathways to a point where it, it can be very, very difficult for some people to, to come back from that. But with neuroplasticity, we know that it can. And I just think that for me, the most important thing is to start off with the belief that you can. And so in terms of identity and and those labels, any of these alcoholic, even addict, problem drinker, whatever, um, to me, they set you up to focus on the inherent problem rather than the belief and the possibility that I can be free of this, hence alcohol freedom coach. Yeah. Well, because it is, it's uh, it's interesting because the words that we use do 
have a big impact mm -hmm. right so it's the same thing one of my friends that i know who's a oncologist you know she was talking about the same thing with the words that we use and usually like with cancer we're always about you know fighting cancer battling mm -hmm. cancer right all of that all of those kind of words like we're we're struggling the whole time right mm. and, and it's and and as opposed to seeing the flip side which is the possibility so we're focusing on the negative side of it as opposed to the possibility or being free right from that particular whatever it happens to be right um which which again is is an interesting thing because like I said, the word the words that we use do have a big impact, right? If you keep calling yourself an alcoholic every day, yep, then you're thinking about alcohol. You're you're programming your brain to think you're an alcoholic as well. So is that is that part of the process that you do to be able to help people? Is kind of this this reprogramming of it? Absolutely. So it, certainly around the language that we use um, is a huge part of it. Um, but also it's it's kind of taking a step back and having, looking at the bigger picture. So I look at it as logically dealing with the root cause of a conditioned behaviour. And to do that, we have to look at the conditioning that's in place. So there's conditioning in, in the, the language that we use and, and, and the conversations we have in everyday life. But it's also so subtly conditioned. You know, there's there's quite obvious conditioning around alcohol in terms of, of media and advertising. Um, but it's developing an awareness of things like, you know, greetings cards or memes that say, is it wine o'clock yet? Because mm -hmm. that makes you want to fit in. We want to fit in with the crowd because that's where we feel safe. Um, but also things like the media that we uh, we expose ourselves to. So, like, I remember seeing a movie that had, it was about a couple who'd had a son who'd been born with, with quite a severe facial disfigurement. And the story was about this boy coming of age and and eventually he went to he went to high school and, and stopped hiding and, and developed more self-esteem and more, more confidence and so he wasn't so dependent on his parents and you know after some years they found themselves on a date night for the first time in over a decade they, they had some time to be a couple to be together to connect um and what I thought was really interesting is the first thing they did was pour a glass of wine and I think well Alcohol doesn't actually connect you, it disconnects you more. And, and the reason this, this came to mind is that when I watch any movies or TV, I, I look, where's the alcohol and what message is it is it given? And I found this movie interesting because there was no alcohol in it at all till about three quarters of the three quarters of the way through. And when we can become aware of how normalized it is. 24 7 in our lives and our subconscious mind is taking that on board um it's no wonder then that it feels very scary 
to reject that norm because that norm and that big group is the safety of the herd. And once you can become aware of that and understand that, it's much easier. You can have a bit of a laugh about it because you understand what's going on. Yeah, well, it's interesting because like you said, it is it is kind of built into everything. So it almost feels like you're going against what everybody else believes if you choose that it's not for you, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> Which is, you know, the same thing though. I mean, most of us sitting here wouldn't, if, if you know, two thirds of the world took heroin every day, would you take heroin every day? I wouldn't. Scares the hell out of me. That one scares me, right? Well the, the th well, the thing is, as a comparison, it depends on how it's been marketed to you. Mm -hmm. Because there's there's no different, you know, if I was to say, Jason, do you want to meet up on Friday night? Um, we'll grab a couple of steaks and shoot up some heroin just for kicks. You've like absolutely no way. But I said, do you want to grab a couple of steaks and a few beers? Sure, right? Because that seems that seems normal. You know, <laughs> you know, shooting up with heroin doesn't seem normal because it's not been kind of built yeah. into the the indoctrination of society. Yeah. But if it had been, if that had been the, <laughs> and it's just obviously more difficult to make. But but I think it, if you can bring it down to that level, then you can stop beating yourself up about it and feeling ashamed because well, it's yeah and that's one where i wanted to go too you know as we as we kind of wrap up here is is i think that you know at least i i see this from other things too you know alcohol other what whatever people are trying to change in their life mm -hmm. is that they do beat themselves up right yeah. i mean it's it's you know, you, you can think of a, a simple example, like how we tie our shoes, right? And I was going to say, well, I've tied my shoes the same way for 50 years, but I haven't, right? But I did probably tie my shoes the same way <clears throat> for the first 35 or 40 years. Mm -hmm. Then I chose to tie them different because I wanted the bow to be different, right? Yeah. If, if you go right over left instead of left over right to begin with, <clears throat> the, the bow lies differently uh on your shoe mm -hmm. I, when i found that out i'm like mm, i like that other way better than what i was taught so i started tying my shoes a slightly different way now the first few times i did it did i want to go back to what i'd been doing the first 35 or 40 years of my life absolutely because that's oh. what was comfortable right but did i punch myself in the face if i if i did it wrong did I feel like I'm a piece of shit because I didn't tie my shoe the right way? Right. But how much of the time when people are trying to change behaviors that no longer serve them, do we almost literally do that? We punch ourselves in the face. We tell ourselves we're a piece of shit. Nobody will love me. Right. So how, how do you, how do you help people, you know, with that too? Because I know that that's something that people deal with all the time. And, and so people give up. Right, or they go back because they think I can't. I can't do it. And it it just takes practice. So when when clients come to work with me, there's no requirement to stop drinking right away because you need to get the practice in around it. Um, and there's there's different 
there's different ways you can do it um but at a foundational level it's acknowledging and noticing when this is why this theme of choice runs all through the program is um acknowledging and and almost like patting yourself on the back for the choices you do make and acknowledging acknowledging wins when you've done anything even the tiniest little thing that you're proud of yourself for that's really great um it's building up a very what for what that for a lot of us is a very weak muscle um so that when you do have some alcohol it's not the the automatic response there's that little interruption of wait a minute here you know it's it's building the self-awareness so that you don't there there can be almost a a morbid level level of comfort in beating ourselves up oh there is or we or we wouldn't do it (laughs) yeah i mean we do it to ourselves and it's it's stupid to do it but there is we get some benefit out of it or we wouldn't do it right um and so but but that combined with understanding that this isn't your fault this is created this this hasn't happened because there's something wrong with you and what we're working through is bringing awareness to those patterns what's underneath those patterns why you're using it as a distraction and every time you you notice something more and you bring that that level of self-awareness you congratulate yourself for that you acknowledge that win um, and build that muscle up well so i think that's that's one of the big things is acknowledging your wins right Mm -hmm. and so you know again whether that's at the end of every day i mean i know i i I attempt my intention is to kind of do this every day, but at the end of the day to just kind of think about how did the day go? Mm. What were some things that I did good? Was it a good day? And most every day is a good day, right? But what were some of the good things that actually happened and what can I give myself credit for? Right. Because, because again, it's as, as we're making progress every day, instead of beating ourselves up, what if we give ourselves some attaboys and some pats on the back? That's it. You know, like that, like that day on your on your uh, you know holiday. You know, at the end of the day, when you put that bottle of wine underneath the sink, you could sit down and go, Heather, you did a good job today. It was hard. It was uncomfortable, but you moved that bottle of wine, and look at how you feel now. That's great, right? But you can even do it with great job on the dishes today. You did a fantastic job taking the, the dog a walk today. You couldn't really be bothered, but you did it anyway. It, it, you know, every little choice that you make, acknowledge that win. Yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. Right? Because because I, w- I would assume, too, that it's, you know, again, let's say let's say alcohol is what somebody's working on, but it's acknowledging all of the non-alcohol-related things as well. Mm-hmm is going to start building up your confidence as well. Cause I, I noticed that as you were, as you were kind of telling your story that there were kind of these little choices that you were making along the way that you could kind of celebrate. And the more that we make a choice 
we feel good about it, we have the positive reinforcement that adds to our confidence that mm -hmm. we can actually do it. Then we do another thing and we mm -hmm. get that reinforcement as well, that all of a sudden our confidence starts to build and the more consistent you are. And then when you start acknowledging those wins consistently, that just builds confidence, right? Because I'm sure, I'm sure six months or a year into it, you were much more confident and much, much more in control maybe a feeling that you were in control of your choices than you did the first week. Absolutely. And, and it's those little, acknowledging those little choices is what leads to no longer feeling like it controls you, you know, that you can navigate any situation and, and trust yourself because you've done it so many times before. And it's only by acknowledging how many times you've done it before have you gathered enough evidence to say oh yeah I can do this so we do it with the little things so that when that challenging triggering situation is there you have that evidence you have you know instead of going in blind with mm. with no backup white knuckling and having already decided I can't do this there's been a whole host of oh I can and well done me and patting yourself on the back and you know well yeah I think I think a lot of times the numbers would probably work out like this where <clears throat> you've done nine things today that are actually really good that you could congratulate yourself on and you did one thing that you're not so proud of but how much time do we spend beating ourselves up about the one instead of reminding ourselves how amazing we are because we did nine out of ten things right you know, nine out of ten that's an a right that's absolutely good. that's 90 percent and 90 percent where you see this all the time is i i don't generally count the days and and some people do and, and that's absolutely fine but i see it all the time where someone will say oh i i had 64 days alcohol free but i'm back to square one and I'm like, so are you negating the 62 days that you had alcohol free? And so it's, I, 62 of 63 is a pretty damn good exactly. percentage too, right? Absolutely huge or 100 days or 300. So even if you had gone, you know, 700 days and had a, had, had a drink, it's this idea of back to square one. It's this immediate focus on, I failed. I've, how can you say you failed if you've gone seven hundred days without alcohol? That that it blew, that mentality blows my mind. But I was there. Mm -hmm. Well, you understand because you were there, and that's why you're helping people that, today, yeah. right? I mean, that's it's. Um, yeah, I mean i I appreciate you coming on and talking. And, and sharing this because again, I mean, your story is a lot of people's stories and it might not be with alcohol. It might be something else, but you know, people can see their life in what you're doing too. And um, you can do it. Right. I mean, that's, that's yeah. kind of what I, what I got, you know, again, as far as one of the things that you wanted to make sure that to talk about it, you know, start off believing you can because you can explore the possibility don't just let someone else tell you what 
is and what's not possible for you. Yeah. Question the convention. That will take you far. Well, this has been wonderful. But, you know, before before we wrap up, any any other things that you want to kind of share with people and and to let let people know how how's the best way to reach you, you know, as well, because if somebody is struggling with alcohol yeah. and they're like, man, I need Heather's help. How how's the best way for them to reach out to you as well? Um, pro, there's there's two places to find me. So I've got a Facebook group it's called Choose Lasting Alcohol Freedom. I'll give you the link for that. Um, so there's a lot more in terms of mindset and strategy and, and there's some people that have come in there and haven't even signed up for any, any programs, just the information alone has, has helped them, you know, feel more empowered in, in their, their choice to, to not use alcohol anymore. But what I also understand is that maybe a group right away is not the place for, for someone it is a private Facebook group, but if anyone wants to reach out to me personally in my DMs on Facebook, I'm, you know, I've got a public profile on Facebook, I do understand that reticence to even admit there might be something going on here. There might be a problem. So if you find yourself Googling, am I an alcoholic or what's wrong with me or, or problem drinking or anything like that, my DMs are always open. Yeah, reach out. So direct message on Facebook because that's where you're most most active. Well, and I know, you know, groups like that, it's, you know, again, if, if, if people aren't ready for the group, then reach out to Heather directly. But if you are ready for a group, go jump in. Yeah. Right? Because I think one of the other things that um, just amazes me, the more that I, that I coach and help people in general, mm-hmm. that we are so embarrassed to admit any of these little things about ourselves until we do. And then it's like, holy shit, there's like thousands of other people <laughs> yeah. that are exactly <laughs> like me, right? And so I, th- I think the Facebook groups and other, you know, programs like that, where you can actually, you know, get with people um, who do get you, right? I mean, it was, it was actually somebody that, you know, we, we both know, I was actually direct messaging them, you know, about something that they're starting to do. And, uh, you know, kind of said, go for it. Right. And, and this person said, well, now I think I will, because it's the first time where I'm in a group where I, I know people see me Mm. for who I am and I'm safe admitting this. Right. Um, and so a lot of times that's just what it takes as well. Right. Is to know that, you're not alone in this. There's lots of other people out there going through some of the same thing and they want to help you too, right? You can help them. They can help you. I mean, that's a beautiful thing about us all really being connected as well is that we all help each other. Absolutely help each other. And one more thing I wanted to mention, Jason, is um, I'm just about to launch a series of free events from within my Facebook group. And it's not about alcohol support or an AA meeting. It's about support to or a chance to explore your identity without alcohol in a social situation. So it'll be an online kind of Zoom meeting with lots of fun topics. And I think that a lot of a lot of loneliness can come up because people are craving real conversation deep conversation 
where you're not boxed into the conventional normities about what it is and isn't okay to talk about. It's going to be a kind of debate club idea um, where the only rule is you get to say what, or you have to say what you think. So let's be honest, let's really, really open up, but let's have have a lot of fun with it. Um, and I think it's something that might even appeal to people who who aren't necessarily having a, a, a problem with alcohol, but it's it's for me as much as anyone else just to um, to bridge that gap where if normal social events aren't doing it for you, let's let's try and create a space where real real true connection can be made. I well, because that's that's ultimately what we need. And like you said, it's it's the um, <clears throat> Alcohol is one way to disassociate us from what we really want, which are those real connections, but it could be something else, right? And so that whole idea of, of the real connections is is a, is a great thing. So yeah, everybody reach out, reach out to Heather on Facebook yeah, join the group. Um, because she's got some, some good stuff out there to help, whether it's alcohol or non-alcohol related as well. So, well, Heather, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I have too. And I know that, um, you know, again, this is one of those episodes that's going to help a lot of people, you know, realize you can do it, you know, just become more self-aware of what's going on, um, you know, and start making some empowered choices um, to be able to, you know, change your identity. And like you said, Mm -hmm. that whole idea of neuroplasticity um, you can always change. The future can always be different than the Absolutely. past. You just have to make different choices um, to make your future and create the future that you want, uh, which is a beautiful message that I heard from you today uh, in today's episode as well. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. The fact that you listened to this entire episode means you got value and others will too. Do me a favor and leave a five-star review with comments and then share with others. You can also check out all of my videos on my YouTube channel and my website, jasonmefford.com. This podcast is primarily for education and commentary and does not represent professional advice. Views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.